0: setting up stripe was a breeze taking just minutes to get up and running from local markets to global retailers stripe helped me expand my reach and grow my business with ease to learn how tap to pay on iphone and stripe can help grow your revenue and reach visit stripe.com slash tap iphone
1: thanks to everyone who supports daily tech news show directly to find out more head to daily tech news support This is the Daily Tech News show for Monday, August 27th in Los Angeles. I'm Tom Merritt. And
2: from Studio Feline, I'm Sarah Lane.
1: And welcome to our roundtable show, the show we do once a month where we expand the regular show into a full-fledged roundtable discussion, a full hour of meaty discussion between myself, Sarah Lane, and our guest joining us today, Jason Howell, host of Tech News Weekly, and all about Android, and of course, musician at yellowgoldmusic.com, and so much more. Jason, how's it going? Dang it. That makes me feel feel way more important than I actually
3: am. Uh very important. When when I look at my time spent on things throughout the day, I I never realized that it would actually make a list of things that I actually do. But there you go. I'm happy to be here you guys. I love joining you on DTNS. Thank
1: and you. we are going to talk music tech today because we also have with us Dale Chase. Uh you can find him at dchase.bandcamp.com. He's also a software engineer.
4: Uh how's it going Dale? Great. Uh thanks for having me guys. Uh really excited to be here to join you guys our producer anthony lamos
1: aka amos uh is with us as well although roger isn't quite gone yet uh, gone. amos how do you feel can you if roger has to step out mid-show are you you're, you're ready right um I'm, I'm i'm gonna try to figure it out yeah. <laughs> you We believe you <laughs> <laughs> all right well all of our topics today cover cover news of the day in some respect uh we're going to start with a few tech things you should know
2: CEO Dara Shahi told the Financial Times that the company plans to shift its focus from cars to bikes and scooters for inner-city rides. Khashrashahi said, quote, it's very inefficient for a one-ton hulk of metal to take one person ten blocks. Good point. He acknowledged that it could reduce Uber's profits in the short term, however. Also, the Wall Street Journal says that Toyota plans to invest $500 million into
1: Uber. Hmm. Hmm. Oh, what a feeling for Uber. Bloomberg's Mark Gurman and Debbie Wu's sources say... After Apple's going to launch three phones in September. Not a big surprise there, but the details are a 6.5-inch OLED, an updated 5.8-inch OLED. That's what the iPhone 10 is right now, so an update to that. A cheaper 6.1-inch phone with an LCD screen. And analyst Ming-Chi Kuo said his sources indicate the announcement would happen the week of September 9th with the two OLED models available by the end of September and the cheaper model available slightly later due to a production schedule issue.
2: Bloomberg's German and Wu also mentioned that Google plans to announce the Google Pixel 3 and Pixel 3 XL in New York on October 9th, according to their sources. Previous sources had indicated October 4th for the Pixel announcement, so going to have to wait another five days, if these Mm, sources are correct.
1: Maybe. Microsoft posted an announcement of all access. It actually happened. Uh, That's the one that lets customers buy an Xbox, along with the Xbox Game Pass and the Xbox Live Gold subscriptions all for one low monthly price, and after you do it for two years, you own the console that you get through this. The post detailed that the plan with the Xbox One S, as expected, costs $22 a month, and the Xbox One X plan costs $35 a month.
2: Oculus Rift inventor Palmer Luckey wrote a criticism of the Magic Leap on his blog Monday titled, Magic Leap is a Tragic Heap. Hmm. Lucky focuses on criticizing the controller tracking, the UI. He also said the headset is not significantly different from other AR headsets. He did praise the decision to put the computing in a separate wearable component called the light pack.
1: Friday, Google researchers published a flaw in the installer for Epic's Fortnite app for Android. Users will have to launch the installer or the game itself to get the new patch uh, because it won't be pushed through the Play Store since it's not in the Play Store. Because of this, Epic had requested a full 90 days before public disclosure. But Google's policy is to wait one week after a patch is made broadly available. So they stuck to the letter of their policy.
2: And in other Google News, the company is now rolling out its Time Watched YouTube feature helping users keep better track of how much they've watched.
0: Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices Visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone.
2: Today, yesterday, or over the past seven days, this is according to Google. The company first announced the feature at I.O. earlier this year.
1: All right, Sarah, let's start with our first roundtable topic.
2: Yes, I'm very excited about this, uh, particularly because we're going to start with you, Jason, because you are a musician. You're, you know, you compose music. You know a lot about how it all works. So (laughs) what we're going to focus on at the beginning of this roundtable is a little bit of why it's rewarding and why it's challenging to be an indie musician these days?
3: It's very, it's equal parts both. I, I picked this topic because it's something I struggle with continually. Like I, I only really have a couple of albums that I've ever put out there, and I always feel like it's a, it like for myself on a personal level, it's a big accomplishment to like work for X amount of, you know, months or years, however long for, in my case, a little too long, to be honest. Um, but then to finally come out the other end and have something to show for it, like that's a big, that's a big accomplishment. The reality is that anyone can do that right now because we all have technology that allows us to do this. Um, yet there's so many other hurdles that come along with this. I feel like people sometimes in these conversations are around like, you know, what, how, democratic making music is now how anybody can do this and become an overnight success. I think what's lost a lot of times, especially with people who aren't musicians, is this idea that Along with this kind of capability, having the power and the ability to do all of these things nowadays that were very hard or very expensive to do twenty years ago, is this idea or this assumption that a musician also needs to know how to do all of that and needs to be be the executor of doing all of that. So, kind of, kind of, my idea here was that there are a lot of things that are super rewarding about being a musician, right? And, and things that make it super enjoyable. We've got social media, which basically means that you're constantly connecting with fans and that you have this direct vein into, uh, you know, into connecting with the people who actually care to listen to your music and reach out and say, hey, I really like what you're doing. That feels good as a musician to get that. Um, that was kind of hard to get 20, 30 years ago uh, to get that direct line. Crowdfunding, obviously, that's a huge um, tool that I've used in in the two albums that I've done is yellow gold. Crowdfunding was kind of, I, I, I mean, I actually, honestly, Tom kind of followed in your footsteps in that regard because years ago you were kind of dipping your toes in Kickstarter, and I was like, well, what's the thing that I have to kickstart? And it ended up being music. So you know, big big thanks to you for for setting the example there. But having that as a tool, having that as a, as a, an avenue to explore. Can be really effective if you have the right uh, pool of, of like potential backers. We've got all sorts of digital tools uh, that that enable so much for so little cost. Online distribution is way easier. It's also less uh, expensive and less complicated than say physical distribution. And literally anyone can make music and distribute it online and appear in the big stores. So. Yes, Sarah. If you if you open up your Garage Band and you make a song, you make an album or whatever, um, you can you know use a service like DistroKid, and they're going to do all of the distribution for you and put your music in all of these stores. So it's almost like you're surfacing in the places that all of the, the, the pros are. You know, the, the people that have been doing this, the career musicians are there right alongside you. And that's very empowering. So those are some really good avenues for being an independent musician.
2: Although doesn't the market being so crowded with people who are, you know, experimenting, maybe I can do this, maybe I can, and maybe they, you know, there's, you either lose interest or you don't get enough attention or whatever. I know on the video side, this is very much true. How do you deal with that reality that so many people have these cheap tools
3: Right. That's a huge uh, challenge. I mean, that's a gigantic challenge, right? It's like, on one hand, things have been democratized to the point that anybody can do that. And so empowering that we have the ability to replicate what used to have been, you know, many hundreds of thousands of dollars in a studio. We have that now on a computer that we pick off the shelf when we go into a store. And so that means that everybody can get in there, they can make music, and that's super empowering. But you're right, the challenge then ends up being, wow, there's a lot of noise in here. You know what I mean? Standing out, really reaching that critical mass can be super challenging. You, you have, as a musician, you have to then uh, have sharpened your tools in the other areas. You have to be a jack of all trades. And that ends up, for me, on a personal level, that ends up being my downfall, right? Like, I love making music. I love being a musician. I love recording technology and getting in the studio and playing around with things and layering vocals and and even choosing art, like, you know, uh, picking art or creating art for, for the packaging. Even putting de- together the Kickstarter is a lot of fun. It's the longevity of it and and making sure that you maintain that constant kind of presence uh, presence in front of people beyond because... As you know, attention fades super quickly right now in so many things, not just music online. But if you're not keeping super vigilant and keeping connected with those fans in some way, then you're going to lose their attention and it's going to become way more difficult to both stand out and continue to be in front of them as you go forward. And that's a huge, like, that's a huge fault of mine. I have a really hard time with that.
1: Well, I know Dale's going to talk, we're going to talk with Dale in our next topic a little bit about social media and reaching out and engaging Absolutely. with the fans out in the world. But but Dale, how do you, how do you feel about this other half of what, what Jason's talking about where yeah, you, I, you have to do all the work yourself?
4: Yeah, I did want to jump off of that point exactly cuz it's like it was it's great that we have uh, all this technology now and the internet and social media um but like all these things are what like your record label used to do for you right yep. and so now so we've kind of gotten the 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 shackles off of the label but now you're taking on all those responsibilities now so it's like you've got all this freedom now uh to do what you want but yeah you've got to do it all now Mm-hmm. The freedom to do what
1: you so I, want means the freedom to do it all.
4: <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, think, I think
2: a so. lot of, you know, record labels get a bad rap, you know, they take too much artist money and, you know, it's, it's sort of an old way of doing things. But I think there there is something to say about, okay, we're going to take care of you. You just be creative.
1: Mm-hmm. Exactly. Care. Yeah.
2: We've got yeah. a team and we'll figure it out when you have to do it all yourself. A lot of that stuff ends up being, you know, it's kind of busy work. It's not yeah. that fun
4: comes down, down, down to how much you really value that freedom, or how much you want to like have someone else take care of that, take 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 that on for you, you know? Yeah.
3: And no, and no matter what, there's always going to be the people out there that as, as creatives, as digital creatives, they love every single step of the process and they've got the time, they've got the bandwidth and the ambition to really kind of drive all these things. You see some of these people that kind of rise up through the ranks of, you know, being like a YouTube musician or a SoundCloud musician or whatever. And they, you know, they've, they've started with nothing. They started in the bedroom with with a, a piece of technology, a computer, and maybe a couple of musical instruments, but they've somehow got the the, the long-term vision and I think mostly that drive to stay connected in all of these pieces to make the connections they need to, to put one foot in front of the other and ultimately build this to become a, a grander thing than somebody who's just a really great musician, but has a hard time managing all of those other things you know like do i as as a person have the time every single day to go on my social media platforms of choice and broadcast out hey i'm working on this or teasing out a picture of the guitar that i'm using to you know, write the song or, that or I'm or even just designing
1: Whatever. a cover and Absolutely. designing materials and and yep. doing all the things that that maybe you're you're not an expert in because you can't be an expert in everything
3: no, but but I think the tools are so democratizing right now that there are a lot of people who feel they can be an expert in everything and more power to them. A lot of people are proving that they just have a great digitally creative mind and that they can go, well, what I need now is I need a piece of art. I'm going to go out you know, with my digital camera, shoot a bunch of things, take it into Photoshop. And, you know, it, like they just they think through starting to end and they can actually turn that into something really pleasing in the end that uh, does something for them. And I'm I'm amazed when people can pull that off.
1: Dale, how do you feel about that yourself? Because I I bet there's some musicians out there who think, yeah, that's great if you can do it. But I don't want to. It sounds like work to me.
4: <laughs> no, I mean, I'm, uh, I fall in the camp of like, I want to do it all myself and I, I'm inspired. To, I've got so many ideas and, and so many things I want to get done, but it's like, I've got a song that I just finished, really excited about it, love it. I need to do a music video for it, right? Oh. That. That's where I'm like, oh, I need to get with somebody and just come up yeah. with an idea, you know, probably put down some loot for it, you know. <laughs>
3: that gets overwhelming for me like the idea yeah. of a music video this is actually a realization that i've had with this this album that i, I released earlier this year um and and that's that you can only do okay let me take a step back the first the the first album that i released on kickstarter ever one was what four years ago and i think what blows me away between four years ago and now is just how much things have evolved and changed in a single four years time right like four years ago video wasn't as necessary sure if you had a music video on youtube to accompany the music on your album that was nice now it almost feels essential because google is doing a you know taking google as the specific example google's doing all these changes with google play music suddenly it's turning into youtube music and there's way more of an emphasis on on video now not to mention youtube as just like a behemoth as a juggernaut so many people are on youtube because that's how you grow your air quotes brand that's how you you know build up this following youtube's a great platform for that so then you're expected as a musician to have some sort of a music video i've never done a music video i mean aside from i think nsfw on the last album they they did a crowdsourced music video and yeah that was pretty cool but i mean i i don't even know where to begin on that so then it becomes super overwhelming i'm like you know what peace out i got my album i'm cool with that move on to the next thing well there's
2: also the element of if you you know if it's a song you love the song you're proud of it Sure, it's a whole other creative thing. Like, how do I make this viral video wise? Which is not really probably what you ever thought about when you thought of this great song.
3: Yeah, absolutely. Trying to having to think about your music as like a um, a marketing machine, or or you know, think of those elements behind it, kind of uh, can also cheapen it a little bit, right? Because I think as a lot of times artists want to think of the the art that they do as something that's pure, and I do it because I love it and I enjoy it. And But when it gets down to it, yes, you can do that. But if you really want to make a business from it, you also have to monetize it and you have to put some sort of a marketing mind behind it to take it to that next level. And sometimes that can feel kind of like you're selling your soul, I think, uh, if you care so much about what you're doing. You know? So it's
1: a challenge.
2: It's hard to promote yourself. I've always found yeah. that
1: yeah totally well even
2: if you believe in the the work it's it's that's it's a whole other thing we haven't even talked
1: about uh the accounting side of it right like on the one hand if you're creative you may be like interested in creating an album cover you may be interested in creating a video and could find a friend who can help you put put a video together You, you probably don't want to deal with taxes, (laughs) (laughs) Taxes <laughs> <and> <laughs> making sure you got paid, and which is mm-hmm. the best distribution channel to maximize your return and and all of that I mean where does that fit in for you guys uh,
3: that i mean that's that's a hard one too right like i I know broad broad strokes of ideas on on taxes, which is you know gen in general set aside thirty percent unless you plan on on spending <laughs> file everything. them and pay
1: them <laughs>
3: yeah. yeah file file them and pay them or and and obviously, I'm not a tax accountant, so don't follow my stupid <laughs> advice here. But or you take the money that you make from this endeavor and make sure that it goes back in to fund the business, right? Mm-hmm. And there, anything that's spent there is not considered against your taxes, and you could essentially spend it all on music-related purchases that tie into your business, and you won't be liable from them uh, from a tax standpoint. Um, but I mean, keeping track of that, like I mentioned a service a little bit earlier called DistroKid, which is an online music distribution. It's made by the the same guy that did that Eft company uh, website. Good. So, yeah. Yes, exactly. Uh, Phil uh, and I mean, there are other services uh, just like this, but what th- what they allow you to do is they allow you to say, these are all the music services that my music will appear on. Uh, you know, in the case of DistroKid, it's like a single yearly um cost that's really not that much considering what you get out of it. And then all of that money, you know, all your album success on all of these networks is tracked. And then there's like basically a bank through distro Kids. So they kind of manage that, but that leads into another kind of struggle, uh, struggle that I have, or, and I think a lot of musicians do, which is this idea that now convenience and streaming is so important as compared to the physical sales. Uh, you know, people just aren't buying anymore, whether it's physical copies, like an actual CD what is a CD anymore? Um, versus just going onto to Spotify and saying, yeah, I'll add that artist and I'll listen to their music. Like the amount of money from an artist standpoint that you earn from straight up digital streaming versus actually someone buying your product, buying your album and, and keeping it. I mean, it's just miles apart. That's another huge difference between four years ago and now. Four years ago with everyone uh, there, there were a, still a decent amount of people who missed out on the Kickstarter and bought the album digitally, actually bought it, didn't just stream it. And this time around, I think more people are just adding it on their library and streaming it. And that's that's awesome. I want people to do exactly what they want, but it's a consideration as a musician. If you want to make you know make money and make a career out of this now, that's a really big hurdle. I Personally, I don't know how you overcome it. It's well, just it's, kind a, of it's a different way of
1: thinking about it, right? Yeah. With a CD, mm-hmm. you see a big margin of money from each yes. unit, so it feels like you're making money. With streaming, you see an infinitesimal amount of, of money from each unit, so it feels like you're not making money. But mm-hmm. there is more money going into streaming from users than was being spent on cds yeah so that money's going somewhere it's a matter of figuring out how do you extract that money as a musician how do you get your plays up how do you strike better deals whatever dale how do you feel about streaming versus product like that
4: uh yeah i, I kind of look at it the same way as jason like I've, i i i'm seeing revenue from streaming but yeah i don't see a lot because i don't have a huge volume when it comes to that but yeah I, I i see that that is where everything is going and it really is about just kind of getting that exposure and having more people listening to it. And and that's how you gain more fans is through the streaming. Um, That's how you get discovered essentially uh, more and more. So I'm looking, that's why I look at more uh, other venues to kind of promote like YouTube and things like that to kind of get my name out there more. So people are seeking you out more in other places like streaming services.
1: Mm-hmm. All right. Well, that brings us right into Dale's topic. Uh, let's let's move on to to topic two: how you leverage social media to break into the music scene, engage with your fan base, secure gigs and venues, etc. Like, all right, we've talked a lot about making the music, but how do you get people to listen to it?
4: <laughs> <laughs> um, well, so this is how I this is why I got stuck on YouTube a little bit because that was sort of the my first success. So I had written Coda Girl" and done a video for it, you know, in Queens, New York, and uh, tweeted to. At the time, Gina Tripani, um was the uh, editor at Lifehacker at the time, and was doing Grease Monkey scripts, you know, for Gmail. And uh, I was watching Hack Five and uh, seeing Shannon Morse doing uh, We Hacks, and between the two of them, I was inspired to write the song. So after I'd done the video, and I was like. And I was like, oh, I've got something here, you know? And so I tweeted at both of them on a Tuesday afternoon where I figured everyone was in front of their computers. um And, you know, Gina saw it, retweeted it. And at the time, she had something like 65,000 followers. And I think Shannon was somewhere around 20 or 25, maybe 20, 25,000. And, um, but anyway, you know, they retweeted it, and um, it's sort of, sort of, you know, catched and sort of goes semi-viral, you know, and uh, and so that's why I that's I'm sort of chasing the dragon as far, as I'm trying to like <laughs> recapture that, like with 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 every release at this point. <laughs> recapture um, that high. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but but also through that, so I had made friends with Shannon through that, and it was, it was something that was relevant to her interest, and you know, we connected. They started using my music on Hack Five, and I got more fans from that. Yeah. Um you know uh started going to conferences and selling my cds there you know uh, with them at, at defcon that sort of thing um so yeah kind of a, my thing is you know find forums um that are related to what you're doing in some respect i guess with me it's a little easier because my stuff is so like geek centric so like when i do my doctor who songs i go to a, a doctor who forum and Post in there, Hey, check out my party anthem, you know, set in the, the world of Doctor Who, um, or, you know, go to some other, you know, some, some coder forum and say, hey, you know, check out my song that uses all, like, you know, Linux references, you know, it's like, uh, so it's that kind of thing. And I kind of find where everyone is that, that is that niche that you're looking for, and then, you know, put in front of them.
2: So, you, Dale, what are some of your, I mean, where's the Doctor Who forum? What
4: platform are you where Uh, do you find
2: you you know you get the most interest from
4: yeah i know that audience yeah i'm just just looking around i think i was i think it was a doctor who facebook page or something like a fan page that i was posting things in this is like a little while ago um yeah just um just be creative and like you know search and and look for things that are getting a lot of traction that uh, you know forms that are getting a lot of traction i know that
1: uh I, i don't want to speak for them but you know uh, musicians like Jonathan Colton uh, mm. made their name with with kind of novelty like songs, you know, Code Monkey and, and stuff mm. like that, and then created more serious, less novelty songs that maybe didn't capture as much attention. And, and, and like I said, I don't want to speak for Jonathan, but I know if I were a musician, I wouldn't want to get pigeonholed into like, oh, now I always have to have a funny song, you know, full of references if I if I wanted to get any attention. Do you two musicians deal with that as well? Like getting pigeonholed, basically.
4: Uh, that's something that I have been uh, cognizant of, especially more recently. Um, like with all the political things that have been going on, I actually wrote like something that was super political like a, a few months ago, and I didn't really promote it, and I just, just kind of put it out just because I was like, "This is something I need to get off my chest." Um, but and but working on the new project now, I was like, you know, but. Well, I, I I do those songs because that is who I am, ultimately, right? So it's not really like I'm I'm pigeon pigeonholing pigeonholing, pigeonholing mm-hmm, myself. Yeah, um, it's authentic. But but I do want to branch out and do more things. So I feel like I just, just do a mix of like things that, that that kind of run the gamut for me. But it is something I do think about.
3: Yeah, um thinking about pigeonholing, I th- I feel like pigeonholing would imply at least in my mind uh with the music that I make that there are enough people that are paying attention and that have opinions about something that they have an expectation about what you're doing and uh are are willing to express that or maybe you recognize that that might be the case. My my whole drive with Yellow Gold, you know, this started I started Yellow Gold probably like 25, 26 years ago, you know, when I was in high school. My whole drive the entire way along was never this is the type of music that I write as Yellow Gold, but rather I'm just writing music that I enjoy at this moment in time. And it's called the Yellow Gold. It all falls in the Yellow Gold bucket. So everyone sounds way different, you know, than Fever Dreamer, which is the album from this year. So I hope to not ever pigeonhole myself because then I feel like I'm writing to a particular thing as opposed to just kind of writing music because i enjoy it uh so thankfully i thankfully i mean i don't have the pressure of having massive amounts of fans that have expectations (laughs) on the music that i write right
1: right i can write
2: whatever i want it doesn't matter (laughs) but i mean there are you know artists on all sorts of levels of you know celebrity and and audience numbers you know if beyonce puts out an album that's Totally a departure from anything that anybody ever heard from her before. Everyone's going to be like, what? It's a risk. Happening? Right. Yeah. When you get to a certain point, then, you know, maybe you're, you know, that's considered like creative genius. But right. when you're starting out and someone likes what you're doing and you decide to change course, uh, because, again, you're a creative person who just wants to make the music you want to make, it can be, I would think, um, for somebody who's building an audience rather than the audience already having been there. Uh, that makes the social media aspect of this even more important mm-hmm. because you have to communicate. What 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 is this? What you know? What's going on in your life? What's happening? Why does it sound different?
3: Yeah, yeah, Dale. What you were saying as far as like writing for like a tech. You know, a, a tech, a geek, geek culture, you know, tech, uh, mm-hmm. influence songs, that sort of thing. I think it's brilliant for building an audience and it ties right into kind of the power and the effectiveness of using and leveraging social media to build your audience because, because it is possible to find those people, right? Like if you're making just, you know, if you're making music that's, that's rock music and you're like, you know what, my music's going to appeal to a fan of Radiohead. All right. How many people are out there are, are, are making music that they think think will appeal to fans of Radiohead and this rock music it 's such a wide pool that again it goes back to what we were talking about earlier, just this the, the struggle of being you know in this in this pool of music surrounded by so many other people there 's so much noise you never stand out at least if you 're able to pick and this is probably why it worked really well for jonathan colton you 're able to pick out of your own passion, hopefully um, a particular niche that you can write to that let's hope hasn't really experienced that in such a way before they haven't really had their anthem. Um, If you can write to that and you write something that's really going to catch catch their attention because they don't have much music written for them. That's a fantastic way to stand out, you know, and but hopefully somewhere along the line, you know, tying back with what you were saying, Tom, you can do this in a way that doesn't, doesn't like narrow you into only writing those those
1: anthems you can so broaden the next yellow and... gold album will not be called sideloading Fortnite.
3: <laughs> <laughs> no that if i wanted to catch that wave that was like a month ago or a couple of weeks ago <laughs> too, late. I, yeah. too late on that one maybe it's going to be artificial intelligence robots or I don't, I don't know yes but i think i think you're onto something
1: well I, and i think if you're if you're a front man, right, if you're a vocalist who loves to be on stage and perform or, or even a guitarist, uh, a bassist, whatever, you know, then the social media game is natural. You want to play to the audience. You want to communicate with the audience. You might even want to be combative with the audience, depending on your style. Well, what if you're the drummer, though? <laughs> like, or what if you're the guy who's, you know, just who, who turns around away from the audience and, and that's wants to make the music but has a hard time reaching out and being public when that's, you know, this ties us back to what we were talking about in our first topic, you know, it's, it's hard to promote yourself.
3: Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's hard when, um, when you, when your purpose is to write music, and your purpose is not to do all those other things. You enjoy being part of the process, but you don't necessarily enjoy directing the process. I'm sure
1: there's a lot of people or we, that fall or into we, that let's category. Let's say you even love the accounting part of it. You're fine with everything. You just yeah. don't want to talk to people. <laughs> <laughs> well... I mean, to a
3: certain degree, you kind of got to get over that part, I guess. Like, well, that's
2: probably why we all know like a few drummers who are really good and you're like, why aren't you in a band? And they're like, mm, I don't know.
1: <laughs> yeah, <right. laughs> I mean to stereotype you drummers. Know, I was whole... a drummer in high school, so I, I feel like I was speaking on behalf of myself. Not all <laughs> drummers. Hashtag right there. No.
4: Or, or or maybe we have like uh, enough kind of avenues now, though. I mean, maybe they're really good at taking pictures, this drummer. Like, maybe yeah. they can just get on Instagram and take pictures of their drums, you know?
1: <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> right, right. No, that's a really good point. Like, what are the various outlets you know it's not just twitter and facebook anymore what what are the effective places to to promote your
4: music actually instagram has become very popular for promoting music i think uh people are kind of sliding away from soundcloud a little bit more even though it's yeah. super popular but um um like i'm not really on instagram but i it looks like like people are you know going there for uh, promotion and all that now Instagram just feels like a,
3: like a really big destination. It has been for a while for for a number of reasons and I, I think you're probably exactly right and that's such a man that's such a hurdle for me i am not, my my habit is not Instagram. you know what I mean like i think if, if of social media habits that I have, the only one that I have anymore is is probably twitter and Twitter's actually a in, in many ways a very ineffective promotional platform, right? Because it's so, it's such a drop in the bucket. You put out an announcement, you say, hey, I've got a blog post that's on the music production process of this album or whatever. And unless someone happens to be there at that very moment to spot it, uh, to click through and then you know a handful of replies whatever like it's it's just gonna fade away so some of these other networks instagram i think is better at that instagram is so visual that it's easy to catch someone's attention just pure you know instead of just being a wall of text but it, but it's so far outside of my own personal habit that it feels like such a a, a mountain to climb to get into the instagram habit you know
2: I mean, obviously, Instagram has a huge user base, but Dale, why do you think that people would be turning away from SoundCloud? I can think of a few artists that I know from SoundCloud that got, you know, they 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 were very successful hip hop artists, especially mm-hmm. from starting on SoundCloud. I mean, is it just, knowing
4: where the people are going, or yeah, or yeah, maybe just personal preference? I mean, it just seems like you know, um, with uh, these sites, these services in general, and like they have like their their high moments, and people kind of like slide to something new, or whatever the new thing is. So if is Instagram, Instagram
1: if I right? can speak in '90s terms, if Instagram is the flyer and SoundCloud's the cassette tape, then like Bandcamp is the stepping up to CDs from SoundCloud.
4: Um. Well, I mean, I see Bandcamp more of a a way for me to kind of. Sell my music or, or kind of make that's it available the, for that's
1: people. That's the merch table. Then. Yeah, that's, yeah oh, exactly. Yeah, the merch table totally. Yeah, right. yeah, that's exactly what it yeah.
4: is. Yeah, I, I love that because like people can pay. I, I let people pay what they want on there. You know, so you know a lot of people pick it up for free, and some people yeah. will pick up like my whole catalog for like you know fifty bucks. You know, it's like uh, it's. I like I like giving people that freedom.
3: Do you think uh, Dale? Just a c- curious question. Do you think that being a musician now. Uh, being an independent musician at this point in time means you have to be okay with the fact. You have to accept the fact that, that your music is only as valuable as someone ever feels like it is. You know what I mean? Like in the, in, the old, in the old guard, your music was as valuable as whatever you charged for it. People paid, paid it or they didn't. Now it feels like, and I, I'm totally happy to do this. I've always operated under this assumption that like my music is free. But if you want to give me some money, great, go for it. Do you, do you think that's more
4: important now than ever? Um, well, I look at it more as like I still feel like i haven 't like arrived yet, right so sure, sure. Uh, i I still feel like I want p- as many people to experience it as possible right
1: yeah, um, and yeah. that that's kind of a become become a, a a rule of thumb, which is give away your music until you 're so big that you can afford to not give away your music <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, very at what well put. at what point do you feel like it is worth it to to sign a contract with a label? knowing you're you're getting the benefits of helping out with all of the business side of things and distribution side of things but giving up a little bit of freedom
4: that's a good that's actually something i haven't really given a lot of thought to Mm -hmm. um i would think that if i had you know achieved what i thought was a certain level of success and they came to me with something where i was like yeah this uh looks really good to me um then i'd Think I think about it a little bit harder that I was actually signing with a label. Um, signing.
3: Kind of, to,
4: oh, sorry. Go no, ahead. sorry. Plus, I've, I, I had gone through like that kind of stuff when I was younger, and had a, had developed a bad taste in my mouth a little bit. Mm-hmm. And I just and it was just like you know I just landed with the wrong people, you know, at that time, and uh, I wasn't like mature enough to kind of like work my way through it, and had to just kind of just like you know what I'm going to just like do my thing on my own for yeah, a while. It you, makes you wary, right? Yeah, yeah, and I kind of just stuck with it. <laughs>
3: Yeah, I mean I feel like um, I, I, I like like you, Dale, I don't know what point that level would be that I would have to cross where I'm like you know what I'm, I'm willing to do this I do know that if, if it's not apparent by now uh, there are certain things that I know I'm not very good at <laughs> if someone was to come along and say hey you know what we'll take that off your shoulders we take a cut but we'll go ahead and do that and and they would have to be able to actually prove that they could they could sure. do that successfully yeah, yeah. you know I, I wouldn't just it wouldn't just be snake oil and that hopefully um, hi I'm
1: I'd- Bob from snake oil records <laughs> <laughs>
3: <laughs> I'm totally going to make your music uh, explode on the scene. Um yeah, I don't know. I would have to feel comfortable with it, but I feel like there's absolute value uh for some people out there um that you know for someone else to take a cut because they are good at that aspect and and you are not. But then again, there are also people out there that do not mind doing the whole thing. They got it nailed and they're going to you know reap maximum rewards as a result of that.
1: I I look at at, at book publishing as similar to this and even the most successful independent artists there like Hugh Howie or someone eventually take a publishing deal. Now I think publishing is a little more artist friendly sometimes than music, but uh, there, there comes a point where everybody can see that benefit if they get big enough, like you said. Yep. Yep. (laughs) All right, let's move on to the next one, Sarah.
2: Oh, this is going to be my favorite part because I want to know what Dale and Jason use for gear these days. Gear is cheaper. There's a lot more of it, a lot more accessible. So what what who wants to go first, Jason? Let's start with you.
3: Okay, uh, I can go first. Sure. My uh, my gear setup hasn't really changed a whole lot in that, however many years because so much of it has been, as they say, in the box. Uh, in my Mac Pro, I think my Mac Pro is like 2009. I mean, it's it's wow. an old machine at this point. 2008, 2009. I decked it out. You know, We've maxed out the Both at it. CNET when you bought your Mac Pro. <laughs> yes, actually, I, I posted a blog post yeah. when I received that Mac Pro. Um and you know what it's still going strong I think I think probably whenever I start actively working on the next album I'll probably have to upgrade cuz it's it's getting a little long on the tooth at this point but it was well it was good enough to get me through Fever Dreamer and I'm happy about that um, I think the thing that's changed over the last couple of years, there's a piece of hardware that uh, if if you follow me on Twitter, you're probably sick of hearing me talk about. But it's called the Spire Studio that I absolutely love. It's this little like f- uh, eight track in a box, digital eight track in a box. It's by the folks at Isotope. And it's just a tiny compact thing with a battery that you can basically power on and do overdubs. Uh, It's basically – I use it for prototyping songs. So if I have an idea in my head and I'm like, oh, I wonder what this actually sounds like, I'll sit down, pull out my guitar, throw that on, do a layer, then just start layering. And in 15 minutes, I've got – I've taken what I had in here in my head and I've got something that I can actually listen to and go – That's an idea that I want to spend more time on later. So that's been like a godsend. I absolutely love that thing. Some people think that it's expensive. I think it's like 300 bucks, but it is amazing if you use it the way it's intended. And the only other thing that's that's really changed in my setup, you know, I'm using Pro Tools to uh, produce music, um, is there's a company called Universal Audio, and they have hardware... hardware DSP that you can, you can plug into your computer, and then they have a whole lineup of plugins that are basically their own modeled uh, versions of classic studio hardware. So all of these compressors and everything that would cost you thousands of dollars to get um, and every you know, there are tons of plugin makers that are actually doing this. I just find that the UAD ones are super like they're they're really well done. And because they rely on the DSP and the breakout hardware that you plug into your your Mac, it doesn't steal any of the resources from your computer. So it kind of frees your computer up, especially when your computer is as old as mine for other things. And uh, I, I just get really great sound out of them. I'm, I've gotten really accustomed to using them. Uh, I love it. I, I keep things pretty simple. I, I, outside of that, it's just my instruments. You know, a couple of. Good Guitars, a couple of basses, and my voice. And That's what kind of it. microphone do you use for that, for uh, music? Well, recording? actually, the microphone I use happens to be the microphone that I'm, I mean, not the same one, but the, yeah, the yeah. brand,
1: the Heil PR-40. You use a PR-40 uh, for music, too. See, I, I, I know a lot of people who love the PR-40 for voice, but then when it comes to recording song, maybe they like a different kind of mic.
3: I'm not. I'm not saying that it's the best microphone in the world for things like recording guitar. Um, you know, like acoustic guitar, whatever. I definitely use it on my voice. I I do use it to record uh, guitar. Uh, you know, a lot of the stuff though that I do is in the box. It's you know an electric guitar plugged into, mm-hmm. um, you know, some sort of a preamp that goes direct directly in, into the computer, and I do guitar amp modeling inside the computer a lot of times. So using the mic to do analog recordings of things, it, it's maybe not as as much used for that but i use it on tambourine shakers i use it on anything that i need to that's physical that's an analog audio source and i'm i i do not know i've used it for a long time so i guess i'm just used to using it for those things and i can get good sound
4: out of it dale what about you um i'm using a mac mini that i think's from 2012 <laughs> nice. uh, that's what uh, this show's uh,
1: being streamed <laughs> off of actually also,
4: yeah same um, but similar to Jason, I am using Pro Tools uh, in conjunction with Reason. Um, uh, I'm using Reason essentially uh, for all my instruments. I use it as my sampler. Um, I, I kind of model that out off of, like, the hardware samples, samplers I used to use. I kind of have, like, modeled inside of Reason in some of their instruments. Um, uh, I'm using uh, a TLM-103 uh, for my microphone. Um, that's a really big voiceover microphone for, like, TV um i had been using it you know at a previous job when i was actually re- recording mm-hmm. voiceovers and just fell in love with it it just sounded great on me i was like all right this this is my microphone for recording well, uh,
1: jason i imagine that's why you got to use the pr40 because you were using it for podcasting right so
4: that's exactly it that's yeah the yeah mic I used you it had
3: with you in the microphone cases. that i had yeah <laughs> <laughs> this is a, hey, the neumann uh, tlm 103 that looks
4: like a pretty sweet mic i have to say yeah yeah i love it um yeah and i, I use Pro Tools essentially as a sequencer, along with Reason, and then once I've got like my beats kind of like the way I like them, and I'll track them back into Reason and just like, do all my editing and recording. And, and Pro Tools, I mean, sorry, not back in, back into Pro Tools, rather. Yeah, Reason's a powerhouse. Uh, I I used
3: that for quite a long time. I don't know why I felt I fell out of the habit of that, but Reason's amazing. Like, there's so many tools within that software. I love it. Yeah. What about headphones? What about headphones? And I think the headphones that I'm using right now, is hi-fi the man, you have
1: too, or what's that? Do you have special headphones for listening to your own music back?
3: I well, I have. Uh, I definitely have studio headphones because. Okay, so I've got Mackie HRA24s. Those are my studio monitors. Those are my like my in studio loud monitors that I mix on, and I kind of mix as I go, so I don't necessarily have like. All right, here's all my rough, you know, lay uh, tracks all laid out. It's time for the mixing uh session or whatever. I mix as I write over the course of months or years or however long it takes me. So, and and much of that is done in headphones because it's late at night because i just i I enjoy getting into the mood of you know a, a nice dark room, maybe a, a little soft like red light in the corner, and throwing on some really nice headphones and doing it all in headphones so the the headphones that I use are Hi fi mans they're planner their um, their're they're planner magnetic uh headphones I've kept suddenly blanking on the actual. Label of them, I can put it in the show notes afterwards. But you know, they're like three, four hundred dollars headphones that I just really enjoy the sound of. Mm. Like, if you're going to be listening through headphones to your own music and using this for hours on end, you want it to sound good. You don't want it to be uncomfortable. And uh, I just, I really have enjoyed those headphones, uh, and they were primarily what I used on on the last album.
4: Yeah, for me, monitor wise, I'm using the Yamaha what, the HSN fifties. I think they are um they're like uh the yamaha ns10 sort of like um uh, knockoffs but they're powered um and i love yeah, i love the way those sounds uh and i think i'm i'm weird i'm using a pair of like hundred dollar audio technicas like uh, not too dissimilar to what you're wearing <laughs> or jason mm-hmm. um um and yeah i i guess i i've been using them so long i'm just accustomed to the way they sound even though they're not the greatest so they, they work for me in that respect
1: and you never feel like you're missing anything in the audio
4: profile well, you know, I I picked up a couple of uh headphone pairs that were supposed to be really like audiophile and like I just didn't like the way they they, they didn't I don't know. I wasn't getting what I wanted out of them. Mm-hmm, you know, it mm-hmm. just didn't sound right for me. Um, but I, but I should try like something upwards of like a three or four hundred dollar pair, which I haven't. <laughs>
3: and I'm, I mean, I'm, it really it really depends on what you're using the headphones for, right? Like, for sure. um, to be honest, the so the Hi Fi uh, Hi Fi Man H E four hundred I. Those are the headphones that I that I'm using at home right now, and they're really great for mixing because they're comfortable. Because to my ears, like they're they're inspiring to me because they they sound the way I want them to. But they're really bad bad for tracking because they're an open ear design, right? Mm -hmm. So if I'm wearing these and I'm recording vocals, all the music that's being mixed into my headphones is also coming out of the back of the headphones, right into the microphone. And Let's just say that's, that's probably pretty frowned upon when you're talking about recording music because that adds extra noise. Sometimes you can do some really interesting things with that, but um, that adds extra noise. So they're probably not good for tracking. But uh, my, my main point there is like use headphones, different headphones for different things. You might have a pair of really crappy headphones, but they seal really well and they make great tracking headphones because it doesn't need to sound amazing. You just have to be able to hear what you're singing over in that example uh, and make sure that that sound doesn't leak back into the microphone phone. Use your great uh, headphones for for the mixing process Mm -hmm. or whatever, however you want to do it.
4: Also, as far as like the mixing process, it's also a good idea to listen to your stuff on crappy speakers or headphones Absolutely. to see how it will sound yeah. on those things. It's like, <laughs> like doing you, your uh,
1: website it. in IE with the resolution turned way down.
4: <laughs> 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 Run it through the real player uh,
1: simulator. <laughs> 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 I always have a Zoom around just to <laughs> yeah, that's right. so hear what it would have sounded like ten years ago. Uh, no, that, that's a great tip. Like you want to you want to not only use different headphones for different things, but it sounds like you want to listen to your music on different playback yeah. scenarios it, it, it might be a good way of putting it. Totally.
3: Absolutely. Yeah. Throw it in the car, you know, listen to it in the car, listen to it. I mean, we joke about listening to it through through a laptop speaker, but so many people, that's how they, how they listen play. to yeah. music, you know? It's, it's a very casual listening experience, let's say. But if you, as a musician, kind of uh, approximate and average out the, you know the ideas that you get from you know the educational listening experience of listening to it on your studio speakers, which are amazing, versus your your stereo speakers in the living room, which are hyped on the low end, to your car stereo speakers, which you're very used to because you listen to it every day, to your laptop speakers, which are super crappy, but you know reflect what a lot of people hear. If you actually use all those things, take notes, and then kind of approximate between them, you can end up
4: with a pretty great sound. It's just yeah, sometimes yeah. takes a while. I um, really quick. Uh, uh, sorry, I used to work at a studio that actually built a van room in the studio. Like it was a room nice. like a van with speakers, like a, approximately like a van, so you could well go in that room and listen to your mix.
1: <laughs> That's awesome. Love was it an Econoline simulated? <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
4: That's amazing. That, no, that's I think it was awesome. like A-Team style. Yeah, yeah, perfect.
1: <laughs> well, and I, it that's makes cool. me wonder if you could make a, a, an album that, that is designed to sound entirely different in a car than it is on a laptop than it is somewhere else. That's, that's like...
3: The, that's a good thought yeah i'm I'm curious uh about that, like how that would because every listening environment, every speaker that you listen to, they're all different, they all have different characteristics, so they're all gonna mm-hmm. pull something different out, yeah. so even if you did that, that would work on the select few things that you tested it on. You never know what you get on the rest of them. And yeah. that's where the mastering process really comes into play, right? Like right. In, a, in a true mastering process, your music goes to a mastering engineer in a studio that is built... You know, with sound dampening and diffraction and uh, very accurate speakers and, and you know, a- uh, analysis hardware that can allow them to say, given what this music is, this is as true as this music can sound on the best possible speakers. And if you, and they, they understand their room so well that if they can get it within that range where they, where they know instinctively this is going to sound good, it's probably going to translate pretty well to the majority of speakers that it ends up getting played on.
1: Yeah. Otherwise you're in a Yanny Laurel situation. Yes. (laughs) I don't know if that's, that that could be cool. No one needs that. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, Last, last thing before we move on from this topic. Uh, I know there's probably a lot of budding musicians out there who are eating up all of this, uh, this recommendations for gear and recording situations. What do you all have to say about the situation in which you record? Do you need to have a lot of baffling, you know, put a sheet over your head? Like, how do you feel about that Aspect of
3: it. Uh, I'll, I'll go first. Um, sure. I My recording situation The the room that I recorded this last album on is in our new house, right? And we moved here. And then I think I started recording uh, the tracks for Fever Dreamer here you know in over the last 3 years the room that i use is so super not ideal it's not an enclosed room it's connected with this very big portal into the kitchen it's this wa- big wide open space i had a couple of you know um sound panels uh, that i pulled from my my old house into the new place but no matter how I sliced it like i could I could treat three of the walls, but the fourth wall just wasn't there, and it's hardwood floors, and so you know echoing through there i mean I think ultimately as as an independent musician obviously you you just work as best as you can to to treat the sound given what you have a lot of people will just take a a comforter you know a a, a, a a down comforter and hang it on the wall right behind the microphone so that there isn't a reflection of sound into the microphone um, or maybe, you know, get under, get under the desk and surround yourself with pillows and, and record down there. I mean, you can play around with it. Every, every weird situation that you do like that is going to have its own kind of sound fingerprint to it, but you, you do what you can. Like my room is, is super echoey, but in some ways, like uh, I, you know, I have hardware and and some wall treatment that gets me close enough, and I don't know if it's perfect. But it's but it's close enough. There's a lot of ways that you can treat that stuff, though, and you can do it very DIY if you want. You could you could build them yourself out of out of uh you know what is it insulation and, yeah, yeah. and a couple of boards. I mean, it's really not that difficult.
1: If you got a lot of books, bookshelves sometimes sure. can
4: help. Yeah. Uh, a nice a nice sized closet will do shit too uh, in uh, uh-huh. the right situation. Um, that's what I did at, at a previous apartment. I had a, a sort of a walk through closet from one room to another, and I just like took half of it and made it a vocal booth, like putting down like uh what they call it, blankets, like kind of like. Mm-hmm. on the side you know it's kind yeah, of to yeah. deaden it a little bit but now in my new place like I just like kind of close mic myself and I don't have any treatment at all and kind of, I just realized like I just rely on my mixing skills to, to get it the way I like and I kind of like that sort of like I usually add a ton of reverb anyway so yeah. <laughs> it right. works so it's helping you
1: already <laughs> yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> that's funny yeah I mean mics are getting good enough now that if you can afford something even you know a high PR 40 will cost you a few hundred dollars but it's not crazy it's not thousands of dollars mm-hmm. and the those, those will cut out a lot of the need to, to worry about that. Although, yeah, the old, the old putting the quilts over your head in the closet. I mean, I know a lot of podcasters do that, too. So. Yep. Oh, the All hook's right. coming out. Let's, uh, <laughs> let's get into our final uh, discussion topic. Uh, this one was voted on by the patrons at the advisor level, uh, and it is, How has technology changed your relationship with music over the last 10 years, both as a producer and as a consumer? And Dale, let's start with you. Like uh, how 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 has technology? We've been talking about all this gear. We've been talking about all these approaches and distribution channels. But how has that changed your relationship with music?
4: If it if it has? Well, I mean, I guess it's, it's the way it's affected. I guess a lot of people, even yourself as well. Like I used to buy albums like i used to go to the store buy albums go online amazon itunes buy an entire album uh now i am a member of google's all access streaming service i haven't bought an album well that's not true. i did buy an album the other day but it was something that was super rare from like the 70s that like no one's heard of so i couldn't get it anywhere else but uh, but like don't you hate that you're like i haven't bought it oh
1: crap i just bought one
4: (laughs) but uh but yeah and uh so so I you know, I, I come from I'm surrounded by vinyl here, you know, and I have like, you know, I used to love artwork and all that stuff. Uh and so I uh it's 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 not as important in releases these days now. I mean people, you know, have album covers, you know, but like it's not it 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 doesn't lend to like the character of the project as much as it used to, I don't think. Um but, and, but on the other hand, it's made my listening, being able to listen to whatever I want, just so convenient, you know, and I, I get in my car and I tell my phone what I want to listen to and, and I'm off. You know? it's like, it's- yeah,
2: that's, that's something that Tom and I kind of talk about because Tom is, he likes to own his music. I mean, I know streaming works for you as well, but you have that feeling of like, no, that actually makes me feel better where I'm like, I don't even want it. Where am I going to put it? You know, so it. Why do you think that some people still hold on to the? I want it to be a tangible thing that I can find locally on my, you know, whatever device it is, rather than someone like me who's like, I'm leasing the music.
4: Well, for one reason, it, it still comes and goes, right? So, like, you, you get all these rights issues with uh, artists and, and labels or whatever. Uh, like, the album that you were listening to yesterday isn't there today, or like half of the songs are missing. You know, and this way you can buy it and upload it yourself and you've got it, you know?
1: Yeah. And, and, and there are a lot of situations where it's something that I don't trust will ever be on streaming. Uh, maybe it's, maybe it's an oddity or some old like digitization of a 78 or something like that. So I like to have the mix, but I, I'll tell you what, Sarah, I am, I am loosening up on that. And it's, it's funny as I've been preparing for the move. I'm moving into a new house in a little less than a month now. Uh, I've been going through my albums. I've been going through my CDs and my criterion for keeping something has changed drastically just in the last five years since I moved last. Uh, anything where I'm like, you know what? This is always going to, this, this record is always going to be available on streaming. The artwork isn't that great. I'm going to get rid of it. CDs <laughs> is even easier. Like if I think I can find this digitally, I probably don't need that CD unless it's super rare. So I've gotten rid of almost all of the CDs I owned and the records I've cut my record collection in half because so much of it, I was like, Oh, but you know what? Like this, this album, this cover is in really crappy shape. It doesn't even look nice. And I can easily find this music. So the prevalence of popular music has meant that it's only the niche stuff, only the stuff that I'm not confident, you know, the, the Temple Kazoo Orchestra. I want to have that album, right? Um uh, but, but we most, Yeah. Well, I do. So there. Uh,
2: you know, another thing that I've found with the streaming, and this is just, this is definitely as a consumer because I don't produce music at all, is because I have access to, you know, 10 new albums a week type thing, I tend to listen to stuff that I really like much less mm. because there's just so much of it. Uh, I You know, I could listen to an album front to back and be like, "This was great, and I kind of forget about it because of the way that you know a lot of the stuff is set up where they want to you know push new music towards you as a music producer creator. I would assume that that would be really frustrating or could be, Dale. <laughs> Oh,
1: oh, <laughs> um, it's so frustrating. Neither one of them can even form words.
2: Well, yeah, I mean, And it kind of goes back to our earlier conversation about there just being, you know, the market is flooded yeah. with a lot of people who want to make music. But yeah, I do. I do find that it has changed my listening habits, even though I still like what I like. I don't mm-hmm. listen to the same stuff over and over. Because I almost feel like and that complicates I'm not the advantage of the streaming the
1: streaming payment model,
4: right? Yeah Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I mean that's, that's my fault then, right? I mean that I, that if you're not listening to what I did you know, over and over, I didn't do a good job reproducing the song.
2: Well, I mean, I don't know. I think if I had your CD and I loved it and it was in my car, I'd listen to it over and over.: because Okay, I tend to do that.
1: But is that a lack of options? In other words, when you're in right, your car, you're right. like, well, I can only listen to the radio or the CDs I brought with me exactly
3: I think yeah I think the mentality was way different uh, back you know in the 90s when we had a single CD player in our car and we're heading to our car because we got a 20 minute drive and we grab that CD and bring it in there and then it gets left in there for five days and we forget to bring anything else so you know we just become experts on that album (laughs) for five days like that doesn't happen anymore Uh, the the unlimited choice that we have from streaming gives us the opposite problem gives us the opposite challenge of well what do I even want to listen to like now you know so much of my my music listening is very passive like it's not something that i sit down and listen to in a focused sense anymore i'm just as happy nowadays to say hey gee, google um, you know, play music and just listen to whatever it happens to give me because, you know, Google kind of analyzes what you li- listen to and it matches it with your voice. And then it says, well, here's a playlist we think you might like. And a lot of times, you know, it sucks, but a lot of times it's fine and it's good enough. And I didn't have an idea of what I actually wanted to listen to anyway. So great. I'll go for that. Um, so I just think our, our, the technology has allowed us uh, to form different habits around how we enjoy music. We don't, uh, and maybe I'm speaking only for myself, but we don't obsess about one particular thing. Even the most amazing album that comes out now, I will still concede that it's an amazing album and I will still probably only listen to it a couple of times and then forget mm-hmm. about it for a couple of months and then go back to it again. You know what I mean? It's just the way it is now.
4: Well, it's, it's not just you, but like, I mean, my own personal experience, like there is a Little Brother album, Separate But Equal, drama-free edition. I've had that I've been listening to that nonstop in my car. I've got a ton of options, but I just love that album so much as I discovered it like a month ago. Mm-hmm. I still rock it all the time because it just sounds so great in my car. <laughs>
3: <laughs> That'll do it too, right? Like if you've got the perfect environment for yeah, that particular yeah. type of album, then that, that helps as well. It's like, you know what? It's a sunny day. I'm bumping this. This is perfect. <laughs> uh, I, I, looking looking at my to, to kind of address the question of, of you know how our relationship changed with music 10 years ago to now, like when I look at, at my music habits 10 years ago, like I was a collector. I was an owner of music. I loved going into music stores and sampling at the time. I think I was DJing. So, you know, there was also that going in there and like grabbing a stack of records and sitting down at a turntable and dropping the needle on random points, like that whole, like talking about it, I'm getting a little goosebumps because it was, it was such a, I don't know. It was such an expo- exploration and you really never knew what you were going to come up it come out of that experience with it was a journey, it was a, a destination where you walked down the street to into the store and you knew that you were going to spend the next hour like going down this rabbit hole, and hopefully, at the other end, you were going to emerge with this very small but selective um, you know sampling of music that you worked for. And now you're going to obsess over, and until the next obsession comes along, like I don't do that anymore. I miss it, but there, there is no like no amount of like unlimited catalog in a streaming service gives me that feeling. It's just it's a very passive thing now, and. I realize it's just what the technology allows us to do. On one hand, it's amazing that we have access to unlimited amounts of music. Uh, Twenty years ago, me would have killed for this and actually dreamed about the the day of having it. But there's a little bit of magic lost. <laughs> <laughs> right, no, no, no. Definitely don't don't look there at the books. No on evidence, that one. and yes. he has not been convicted. <laughs> don't look too deeply into that one. um You know, I miss that. That's all I'm saying.
1: Yeah, yeah. No, I, I get you because uh, I the the exception that proves the rule for me l- most recently was Logics, uh, bobby Tarantino 2 where uh, Justin Robert Young messaged me because they had a Rick and Morty track at the beginning of the album, uh, or he did, and. And, and, and that made me go, well, let me investigate this album. And then I started listening to the album. And that was an old fashioned feeling of a friend recommending an album, yeah. me listening to the album and liking it and playing it a few times and then adding it into my playlist. Most of the time, if I add something into my playlist, it's... I read about the artist on, like, the BBC and one of their weekend music profiles, or I heard about it on a television show or, or even a commercial, and you're like, oh, who's that? And I look him up that way. Uh, probably the biggest source of music for me is, is Eileen, my wife, playing stuff in the house and me going, oh, I like that one. Uh, but, you know. Yeah. I guess that's...
2: Uh, Ariana Grande, for example.
1: Yeah. No tears left to cry, that girl. poor thing uh well you know what i guess that's uh gonna bring us to an end uh so thank you all for being with us
4: thank you guys a lot of fun yeah (laughs) really appreciate it thanks for thanking of me
2: yeah um let's talk about where folks can keep up with all your music and other work jason we'll start with you uh well. What you if, got uh, going on these days?
3: If you want to find my music, just go to my site. It's yellowgoldmusic.com. You'll find um, you know, there's a, there's a little music tab there with uh, three albums that I've released in any sort of a public sense, and then Fever dreamers kind of the, the album that released earlier this year. Um and I don't know, you can follow me on Twitter, twitter.com slash jason howell or at Jason Howell. I don't know why I decided to give you the full URL. You already know that. Uh and then of course I I do tech podcasts for Twit. TWIT.TV. I'm there talking technology uh, pretty much every day of the week.
2: Awesome. Thank you guys. Yes, of course. It was so great to see you again.
3: Yeah. Great to see you too.
2: Dale Chase, what's been going on with you and how can people keep up with all your fine work?
4: Um, yeah, I've just been working on some new music. I'm finally getting back into writing some things that I really like. You can catch all my stuff on dchase.bandcamp.com. Um, like Type Def, Love Plus Plus, um, and my super political hit, Where's the Bottom? Um, (laughs) and you can also catch me on, on Twitter at Dale O Chase.
1: Excellent. Folks, if you'd like more of these roundtable shows, if you like the feel of us just letting loose and chatting like this, join in on the fun or up your pledge and get some of our cool perks like good day internet, exclusive columns and more at patreon.com slash DTNS.
2: If you want to send us feedback, we would love it. Our email address is feedback at dailytechnewsshow.com. We're also live Monday through Friday at 4.30 p.m. Eastern. That's 2030 UTC. Find out more at com slash live.
1: Back tomorrow with Justin Robert Young. Talk to you then.
0: This show is part of the Broad Pants Network. Get more at FrogPants.com.
2: you have enjoyed
0: this Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods,